0: Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. I'm Amanda McCrossin, and we are talking about smart buys from iconic regions. What the heck does that mean? Well, I'm joined by two fellow sommeliers from Wine Access, and I think these guys, along with me, know what it's like to serve some really expensive wines to guests at our restaurants. I'm sure we've all served our fair share of like Screaming Eagle and Harlan, and maybe the occasional exactly. But like when we come home at night, we're not drinking those wines exactly
1: as much as we wish (laughs) wish.
0: yeah so instead sommeliers uh, being the problem solvers that we are we look for other ways to drink really really well and one of those ways is to continue looking at these iconic regions like Barolo and Bordeaux and the one we're going to talk about today Loire Valley and we look at adjacent places, little nooks and crannies in those regions where you can find things that are are maybe just not quite as expensive as what we might be serving some of other guests. So there is only one way to figure out what those are. Well, there's two ways. One, you can do the research yourself. Or two, you can listen to this podcast and let us tell you, (laughs) which is exactly what we're going to do today. So to my right, I have the wonderful Lara Coffer. Welcome. So, so, so happy to be here and drinking this fantastic wine and... You know, giving away all our secrets. I know. I I feel a lot of things about that, but I think ultimately this is a good thing. And to my left, Eduardo Dingler.
1: A pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Always Always, good to have you. Always a fun time.
0: Yeah. I love when you guys come on because all three of us have worked in Napa Valley in separate restaurants. Laura, you were at Bottega for uh, a minute. Yeah. Uh,
2: (laughs) Many years uh, doing the restaurant uh, programs for Bottega and Coqueta and working the floor and and grinding away and, and... Just serving some of the most amazing wines in the world.
0: Yeah. And Eduardo, you've uh, you've spread your wings at a few different places. I think most recently, pre-wine access, Morimoto. Morimoto,
1: certainly. uh, uh, With uh, the global corporate beverage director position, I was based in Napa, but also got the opportunity to open restaurants across the globe and see behaviors and obviously the the cult wines that everybody follows and had to bring them to each location, but also recommend fun things. That we're doing now.
0: Yeah. I think between the three of us, we probably sold, you know, what? Millions. millions mil- oh, my <laughs> millions God. of yeah. dollars of wine. <laughs> but, you know, our sellers look a little different, so we're going to talk about that today. So before we jump into that, we're going to talk about what is going on in the wine world. We're going to start with, like, something a little heavy. Not, you know, super, super heavy, but uh, I'm sure you all are familiar with Wine Spectator. They were recently hit with a transgender discrimination lawsuit, unfortunately, by a former employee named April Lewis. She alleges that she was wrongfully terminated earlier this year following medical absences for three gender-affirming surgeries. Obviously, terrible ordeal for her for anyone to have to endure, And I don't know if you guys ended up reading this article that's been kind of shared a few different places, but the one that I'm referencing is the one from the San Francisco Chronicle. And what was interesting is within that same lawsuit, she alleges that Wine Spectator repeatedly violated the company's blind tasting protocol, which is their system of impartial wine criticism crucial to the magazine's credibility. Here's the quote from, from the Chronicle. During her tenure, Lewis claims that she lodged multiple complaints to Wine Spectator staff, including, I don't know how to how to say her last name, but robic against senior editor James Molesworth, who review, reviews California Cabernet Sauvignon Pinot Noir for quote changing wine scores after opening bags mid flight, meaning he would allegedly change a score after seeing the wine's label.
1: That's big claims, and obviously uh, allegedly, always allegedly, never know.
0: But allegedly.
1: that's a big reputation they have to carry, and uh, yeah, it does make an it make you, makes you think. Yeah. I think impartial tasting in a blind setting it's very important for those mm-hmm. publications mm-hmm. when you look at other ones some actually say hey we don't do it blind yeah. uh, i think venice is, is famous for that yeah james suckling and such mm-hmm. but it, it is important if you're sticking to that to make sure you follow That's through not gonna do it. yeah
2: yeah lots of lots of bad behavior kind of outlined here and
0: all this is going to play out in our own backyard because this is all filed here in napa That's right. Yeah, and I think, you know, Laura, you were on the podcast when we talked about the first growths not submitting to Wine Spectator because of this blind tasting policy. And they held firm in that blind tasting policy that they were not going to go to Bordeaux as the first growths had requested to review these wines. So I don't know. I mean, again, as Eduardo said, all of this allegedly – this is a lawsuit so a lot can happen but if this does prove to be true it's a bad look for a spectator if if it is true um so hopefully a giant
1: As somebody that's yeah. well established in the in the community one of the pioneers yeah no
0: so, and it's big and yeah. you know you said you brought up there's other magazines of course but wine spectator is actually one of the few left if any beyond that that actually do blind tastings in these ways mm-hmm. do you guys still do blind tastings not for, for not often not. we no. um we usually like to know everything about it and then
2: and then assess the wine armed with that knowledge mm-hmm. um every now and then though in in judging panel it'll be kind of fun someone will say like okay I'm just gonna pour it I'm not gonna tell you anything and it, it really does keep us on our toes it keeps us honest and it keeps us uh, just really truthful to to what are we tasting in the glass
1: it's a huge catalyst so a lot of the judging that I do mm-hmm. for competitions oh, right. Whether it's uh, domestic or international, they're all all blind. One of them in particular, you do a blind setting and then they unveil the bottle and then you get to judge it on mm. packaging too. So you have two parts of it, which to me is always a little strange because you could go back and change it. Yeah. They don't lock it.
0: Sounds like maybe what somebody else is doing right now. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so it makes you think. But I do love that blind setting. It really puts it through yeah. what we're studying for the Court of Masters we're tasting a lot of the wines, and right. every once in a while, we would throw one of those big California shards that people, everybody badges on yep. for, for its style, and it would, I mean, amongst sommeliers, it would throw people off. It's fascinating.
0: <laughs> You're not the first person that's told me that's happened in a blind tasting. That's interesting. I would do that for
2: my staff for lineup. sometimes. We'd, we would all have this, this notion or this idea about a certain wine, and... I, and I'd hear from the staff about, oh, this is how it is. This is how it is. And, I'm like, and so I would just – I would decant it and bring it to lineup and say, and say, this is something, you know, we have on the list and let's just talk about it. And usually, you know, it would change a perception or what they thought it and, – and it would make them better for the guests. So I think there's a lot to be said about tasting things blind. And if you say you're going to taste it blind, I think you need to do that. But I mean <laughs> –
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I I just had this conversation recently when I was down in Argentina with someone that reviews wines and we were talking about whether or not blind tasting as a journalist isn't is important because ultimately that they're not tasting wines for potential inclusion on a website or on the retail floor, right? Where impartiality does sort of matter. To me, I think when you're talking when you're a journalist and you're talking about the entire story of the wine and you're going to be presenting this wine to consumers. Who are going to be taking the whole thing into consideration? Why would you not, as a journalist, do the same thing if that's the end result? Absolutely. Ultimately,
1: it's like Tash Mahal said. He said, "I don't care what you do, as long as you do what you say. What you do, what you say, you're going to do
0: something like that." Anyway, I'm a firm believer that.
1: (laughs) Do what you're going to do.
0: In less heavy news, uh, I think we're all friendly or friends with uh, Tony Biaggi. Yeah, yes, great guy. Super exciting news for our friend Tony Biagi, winemaker here in Napa Valley, and other California regions like Sonoma and Paso, he has just been appointed the new winemaker for Tocolon Vineyard Company, taking over Andy Erickson, who has huge, 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 huge guy, huge news, um, huge project. And I have to say, you know, I really like what they're doing with the Tocolon Vineyard Company. And I'm very excited for Tony to, who knows, and I'm sure you guys know this, knows probably more than anyone else in the Valley about Napa Valley vineyards. Uh Like if you want to know like who was sourcing from where, where like what's up with that vineyard, who owned it when Tony is your guy. So the fact that he is going to be making wines from this very iconic vineyard is super, super exciting.
1: Yeah. From one master to the next. I mean, Andy is, it's outstanding. And and I think, one thing they both do well, in my perception, mm-hmm. is the tannin management yes. and how to play with the Napa fruit, yes. that it's not easy for everyone.
0: Yeah. No, they both, you're right. They both work with Oakville fruit really well, which does tend to have that like intense muscular structure, lots of tannin, and they manage to just like contain them without masking them, which mm-hmm. I think is really, really hard to do and not everyone can do it. So great point. No, I'm excited. And if you want to taste any of his wines currently, he still has his own label, um, Patria, and um he— He's still the winemaker at Hourglass, Hourglass. Uh, and a few others. So, yeah, super exciting. I love when, like, big changes happen like this because you get to see a different expression of really iconic vineyards. So Absolutely. should be interesting. Something that was kind of fun that came across my desk was, are you all familiar with Essencia Water? It's actually one of my favorite waters. Have you seen this? I haven't seen this one. No. Okay. Yeah. So Essentia Water, you can, you can buy it in Whole Foods. It's probably too expensive, but I buy it anyway. <laughs> um, they partnered with House Wine to release yes. a water and rosé combo box. So, right. picture, yeah, like college dreams come to life, right? <laughs> so, picture like a big cardboard box, and one half is Essencia water, the other half is rose. And the whole thing goes in your fridge? Or wherever, yeah. Or, or,
1: or <laughs> oh, so they're yeah. not mixing it, but it's actually a bottle of yeah, 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 it's it's like, yes. it. okay. yeah,
0: yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. So the it's two compartment exactly. So it. one yes. half of the yeah, so they're separated. So one half of the box is rosé, one half is water. It's eight standard seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottles of rosé, and then thirty two eight ounce glasses of water. So you'll be sure to stay hydrated or have no, no excuses right. as yeah. to yeah. not being or have a very hydrated. odd wake up in the middle of the night. To try to get a glass of water <laughs> like, what <moment>. is happening? <laughs> And drink
1: rosé.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suck down some rosé.
0: Yeah.
1: Brilliant marketing.
0: Brilliant marketing. Mm-hmm. And I initially I was like, eh, I don't know about all this. But um, I, you know, I think like the more we can get people drinking wine and the more we can co-brand with like non-wine companies, I think the better off we're going to be. So I'm, I would try it. I would, you know. Yeah. I actually just did a TikTok video or an Instagram video on what's called a double Bagnum. Have you heard of this? No, I missed this. How did I miss this? different wines. No. No, no, it's like picture like a like a giant like um, Capri Sun pouch. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's a double Bagnum. So double Magnum of Mm -hmm. of Rosé. So it's four bottles in there. And it just like lives in your fridge. There's a little spout on it. And wow. so I love these like alternative packaging formats.
1: Hey, speaking about your uh, recent uh, postings, I love the one about orange wine <gasps> versus rosé. Yes, fascinating. Shared it. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. I think there's a lot to be said in there. <laughs> speaking of rosé, so
0: <laughs> yes, they are not the same. Yeah, everyone keeps asking. I kept getting these DMs about orange wine, and I like orange wine. But there have been a lot of articles. In fact, if you just Google like orange wine, a lot of them are like, is orange wine not the new like rosé? And no, the answer is no, it is not very the different. <laughs>
2: yeah, they're different. But it'll be exciting when they do the fridge pack of orange wine and
1: water. <laughs> or orange yes. wine and rosé. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's like my kind of mimosa, right? Kick the water right out of there. Yeah. Um, and then actually, last but not least, was sort of for you, because this was very recent news. Last night, the James Beard Awards took mm-hmm. place. The Outstanding Wine and Other Beverages program award winner did you see this
1: ototo in L.A. i am a huge fan they're great friends of mine we try to stop by every time holy cow they deserved it
0: so cool i've never been but i saw so ototo is a sake bar um Mm -hmm. in la and i think what's interesting is this this category that you can be nominated for for the james beard awards which is like basically the oscars for food and wine right this category has really opened up to include other things beyond just wine. So I love that Asaki bar. Fascinating.
1: One. Courtney and the whole team have done a great job. Yeah. Um, also, speaking of James Beard, or Good Friends, received an award for the whole animal from oh, uh, some TV guys.
0: Yes, that's right. For the
1: documentary, which that's is right. one of my favorites. The whole score, the way they filmed a the movie yeah. about butchering and travel around the world. I'm a huge fan needs to be said
0: and also like if James Beard Awards are not on your radar in general like a great way to research new restaurants and programs and people and books cookbooks and and TV shows
2: and it's just like kind of anything kind of food and wine world but you're right it's like the Oscars for,
0: for the culinary world yeah also shout out to my hometown of Philly which took home three major awards Uh, so yeah one of my favorite restaurants well two of my favorite restaurants which ones three of them Friday Saturday Sunday um, took Outstanding Restaurant which you have to be open for like 10 years that's actually the second restaurant that I know of in Philadelphia to take home that award which is not an easy one to do so the first was um, Zahav uh, the Israeli restaurant Mm -hmm. from Michael Solomonov and then uh, Friday Saturday Sunday Ellen Yin who um, has her own hospitality company she owns a kitchen and bar Uh, she won love that place and then also Oh, one of my favorites that I've been championing forever and ever and ever is uh, Kalaya, which Ooh. is a wonderful, wonderful Thai place in Fishtown in Philly. So wow.
1: To add to the list. Yes. Uh, that's oh. what we're working on. I know. Hopefully.
0: we got to get you guys down down. Time to, to get Philly. back to Philly. Ooh. That's great. So that's what's going on in the wine world. If you want to hear more about what's going on in the wine world, you should definitely like, subscribe, and review this podcast because – That is how our bosses let us keep doing this. Thumbs (laughs) up. Yeah. (laughs) It really helps us. So if you have not done so already, please go ahead and do that. And then also, since you're probably, if you're watching this right now or just listening to us chug our wines in this show, (laughs) um, this is your cue to sign up for our accompanying wine club we have a wine club it's called the wine access unfiltered podcast wine club it's a really original name crushing it in that department but it is original wine so we always select Mm -hmm. four wonderful wines with help of these guys it is a labor of love um there's someone's got to do it i mean
1: (laughs) (laughs) we do taste and uh, talk about a lot of a lot of wines and we narrow it down it really like
2: the top the cream really rises to the top for these selections and um I was excited when we tasted this wine the first time around. I'm excited to have it in my glass again. Um, I'm excited to throw a few more bottles into my shopping cart.
0: It's sold out, Laura. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I only know that because I wanted to do no. this.
1: <laughs> it went fast. It
0: went really fast, yeah. So there was only, um, you know, we af- obviously allocated a portion for this wine club and then a portion to go out to non-wine club. And it's gone. So maybe it'll come back someday. If right. you're
1: already in the club, you're one of the f- very few lucky ones. I yeah.
0: think Eduardo and I know some people. We can Yes, we can, <laughs> we can, ask. can work our way. <laughs> So we're going to be jumping into that wine and talking about all of those smart buys from Iconic Regions when we come back. All right, we are back with wine in our glass. Hopefully you've got some too. And we are drinking the 2021 J. de Villebois Puy Fumé from the Loire Valley. If you did not catch our Loire Valley episode with John and Reed Scupney, this would be a good moment to jot that down and revert back to it because we're not going to dive too heavy into Loire Valley itself on this episode, but we do in the other episode. Instead, we're going to be talking about all of these... Regions and their little pockets within those regions that we kind of forget about, right? Mm-hmm. There's like all these little places and little wines that like sort of live under the under the radar. So this wine in particular, I have to say, if you haven't caught the tasting video that I did of this wine, I think Ronnie, who does all the social, was like super excited about my tasting video because I I went nuts for this wine when I was tasting it. I love this, and to me, this is so. This is uh, something a blanc coming from um, from the region of, of Pouilly Fumé, and. When you smell it it's flinty and it's minerally, but it's like it also like feels very sun-kissed so it's not just it's d- not just one thing like it's many different things and to me it I could have waxed poetic about this wine forever and ever and always um so this is all fermented and aged in stainless steel tanks so all of that great texture that you should be getting on the palate is coming from the grape it's coming from that really nice richness all that flintiness is coming from
1: Kimmerage and soils exactly oh, mama.
0: exactly so the more famous region that produces Sauvignon Blanc in the Loire Valley is, of course, Sancerre, right? We love Sancerre. We're here for Sancerre. Love San- loves, love, love, love Sancerre. It's a machine,
1: marketing-wise. Sancerre really opened the way, I totally. feel like, to a lot of Sauvignon Blanc drinkers that a lot of people don't even know Sancerre Sauvignon Blanc.
2: They fell in love with the region, which is so easy to fall in love with, um, and you see Sancerre really just... Cropping up, it was like became a by-the-glass wine, and now it's almost too expensive to be by-the-glass. Yes. It's getting more and more expensive, and it's getting more and more sought after. And particularly in this vintage that we're drinking right now, I'm not surprised this is sold out because this was such a small vintage. There were Mm -hmm. so many issues, and Sancerre has become just harder and harder to get get your hands on. But Puy Fumé is literally across the river— just a hop skip and a jump same beautiful um you know soils and same beautiful grape and it's just not quite as well known so this is where this, this is where, where our psalms live. Where a lot of the psalm dollars go go to to be consumed because uh, the wines are just as
0: delicious, and you can you know you can have two bottles for the yeah
2: for the price of one.
0: I've always found it interesting too, like even the higher end producers of the Pouilly Fumé like even the Daginos like you can still find for like yes not crazy amounts of money. Like I don't really always want to spend hundred dollars in something a blanc, but if I do. This would be the place I'm going to do it. Yeah, and, and like
2: Dagano is probably the most well-known producer from yep. the region. his makes his home there, and also does make serre, but the Puy Fume is really where it's at. Yeah, uh, for that. But yeah, th- this this wine really does deliver all the th- all the things you want out of a great Loire Valley Sauvignon Blanc. It's expressive. I think Eduardo had mentioned when we first opened it, it was a little bit tropical, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely right there, but that flinty, that smoky, that soil is just. Bursting out. To so me,
1: it's good. like lightning. It's like all this electric charge in the palate. I'm going to say it's like so licking a battery
0: because I, oh my God. I will forever remember that being the thing that you say. And I was like, all right. I Every once it.
1: in a while, some things have like licking a battery. I don't know how often you do that. You shouldn't. However, this is electric. To me, the Kimmeridgean Soils, the right situation there, here that's happening in, in the Loire Valley. Gives a lot of jolt of energy to this wine, Absolutely. which gives it mouthwatering. You want another sip and another sip, which as we're doing. So, <laughs> quite fun.
2: Yeah, the farming practices, you know, like the organic, like I think that comes through in the glass and you get this liveliness that you call it electricity, I guess. But yeah, yeah that, that kind mean? of <laughs> permeates through the glass. I would have this with, you know, shellfish, with like some fries. I mean, it's summer now, like a lobster roll kind of thing, mm. Um, mm. salads, all those, all those great summertime meals. I'm here for the goat cheese. Yeah. Classic.
0: Classic. Classic. I know. Not super original, but it is a classic. It's a reason. There's a reason everyone has a little black dress. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I should say, like, I'm not, I don't think Sauvignon Blanc is the grape that I gravitate towards the most in life. But to me, like, this is the perfect example of, like, when this grape is done really well, Mm -hmm. it just has this ethereal quality that feels for lack of better term, and I compares it as The Thief of Joy, but feels very... Com- Burgundian to me right like it just has similar
1: soils right and yeah so exactly. you're looking at parallels and soils and so things.
0: yeah so even if like Sauvignon Blanc isn't normally your thing like if you find Sauvignon Blanc to be like too citrusy or too grassy or too green or whatever like this is definitely a wine uh, Pouilly Fumé in general is a region you should be seeking out because I think in general Sauvignon Blanc from these parts really leans into this more minerally I think you, know, you mentioned tropical earlier mm. it does different things here and I think it's a beautiful expression of this grape. Beyond Pouilly Fumé, my question for you guys, when you were working your long shifts at the restaurant, what, besides cocktails and beer, what did you go home and drink wine-wise? I have to say, during my restaurant years, I mean, Sauvignon Blanc,
2: Italian Whites, like those crisp, lighter-style wines were always my go-to after a long shift. It mm-hmm. were just easy to drink. Not probably too easy to drink. Yeah. So those were my, you know, or lighter style reds like burgundy, you know, Pinot Noir, or sometimes Gamay. But definitely I, I gravitated towards white, light, unoaked wines or or bubbles. Mm.
1: I think you hit her in the head in there. I, for a period while we had this, this schedule that just worked magic, right? Speaking about long shifts. Yeah. I would get out of work around... 11 p.m. on a Saturday, Mm -hmm. uh, in which I was in the closer because we were closing late. But I was in the closer. Laura was the closer at Bottega when she was running the floor and and selling wine on the floor and such. So every other Saturday, when we were lucky, I would get a piece of salmon, sushi-grade salmon, this beautiful salmon, right? I would get it skin on. I would get home. I would dice some mangoes, some chilies. I would put the skin on, crisp it, uh, just cook it at a medium rare and I would have it ready. Sometimes we'd just do tacos or just put a salad on top. Yes. And by the time Laura got home, there'd be a chilled bottle of either a White. and white, okay. which often was a Sauvignon or, or a Rivola Gialla or something like that, or Chablis. Sometimes, every once in a while, well, it was champagne. But uh, yeah, some small producer and stuff. And that was a reward after a long Saturday. Mm-hmm. I- I'll never forget those things. Just a perfect salmon, perfect crisp white I or champagne it. and bam.
0: Friuli is such a great example of like Oof, under, under the, the radar. radar yeah.
2: don't like don't tell everyone. It's so good. If you love white wine, Friuli is a place like worth exploring. Actually, a lot of like the winemakers of Napa Valley that were interested in Chardonnay went to Friuli. I mean, as much as they took, and and Burgundy, they took inspiration yeah, from Burgundy, they took inspiration from Friuli to figure out how to make rich white wines that were still uh, fresh and exciting on the palate. And there's, like a white wine uh, mecca. And affordable, yeah.
1: I mean, if you're still in Italy, I mean, you can do Campania, too. And then you get the saltiness, the volcanic, completely different. I mean, we can talk all day about Italy, for sure.
0: Well, let's but- <laughs> talk about Italy, because I think, you know, when we think of Italy, we think of the main regions, right? We mm-hmm. think of Piedmont, we think of Tuscany. Mm-hmm. So what about within Piedmont? Like, if you are I mean, I don't think any of us are going to go home and drink, like, Quinterno Barolo, it's but... It's not often.
1: It's, it's a celebratory thing. Right. Pella Verga Or uh, drinking something like um Gatinata. Mm-hmm. things like that, uh, That's where great example. they are just across the the river and they have that kind of intensity and richness, Nebbiolo expressions or cousins. Mm-hmm. Even Lombardy has some great, uh, Valtellina.
2: So Nebbiolo really spans that area of like the northwestern Italy. So you can find things outside of, and I, that would be my advice to anyone looking to enjoy, you know, if you love a certain wine but cannot afford it every night, mm-hmm. is to just zoom out a little bit. And so like Nebbiolo, yes, it's it, Barolo and Barbaresco are the top of the top and price-wise they're the top of the top. But if you zoom yourself out and look at the Lange region or even zoom out a little bit further and you look at, you know, go, go a little bit further east into, into Lombardia, like there's still great Nebbiolo and you're still getting all of those influences of climate and soil and, and know-how.
1: I think the um, ticket so is you- not sacrificing quality. And I think that's where it is, because obviously if you wanted a, a Grand Cru Barolo, right, mm-hmm. and you don't want to go that route, you're not going to do a Langa Nebbiolo, because then the quality is different. Right. But if you're looking at a cross from other places, like as I mentioned, Gatinata or Pelaverga, places like that, that are using the same regimen of uh, aging and such in bottle and giving you the same thing for a fraction of the price, mm. because we're taking advantage that they're not that famous, they're marketing, whatever it is, bam. Correct yeah. me, Laura.
2: No, or, I, or no, I, 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 yeah, I will, I I will agree. At like, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think Laura has Please. I think you can I think you can find great Lange Nebbiolo made by some of these great producers. If you yes. like the producer, then you you know, you find their other bottlings um, and they can deliver they can deliver a great Tuesday night bottle of wine. I mean, Oh, absolutely you know, but I, I think I, the point I, is
1: aging the barolo for the the a Reserva Barolo needs all this time and extra aging, right? So a Lange Nebbiolo is never going to have They're that. They're
0: not going to be the same, but they'll it's still deliver
1: thing, the beauty of the
2: grape in a, in a different
0: right. package, I think. Well, we're also talking about, not two different things, but we're talking about, like, use cases, right? We're talking about Gattinara, which could be subbed in for a Barolo, mm-hmm. but then we're also talking about Lange Nebbiolo, which is an easier drinking style, right? intended so you don't need to decant it, it can be drunk on a Tuesday night, it doesn't need a lot of love, a lot of finesse, but if you want to like fool someone, like if you have like your yes. boss over yeah. for dinner and your boss is like, oh, and they didn't consider And you're like, well, cool. I can't afford that because you don't pay me <laughs> enough. Um, that's when you break out something like the Gatsanara, exactly. right? And so you can have these like two different example of smart buys from iconic regions that do yes. different things. And I think we can.
2: I'm so glad you're here <laughs> to translate for us. Because
0: <laughs> yes, you are
2: a million percent correct. <laughs> that is, we were talking about two, two ways of doing the same,
0: getting kind of the same end. Well, because I think when we think about all of the ways in which we enjoy wine, right, it's not just Tuesday night. Sometimes it is a Saturday night with Sushi-grade Salmon from <laughs> Morimoto. Maybe I'll be so lucky. Although I can't really complain when I work depressed. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. absolutely. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, but there's all, the, all of these different ways that you can enjoy it. And like a smart buy from an iconic region is not indicative of quality or how you can enjoy it. Like They, they serve all different purposes. Mm-hmm. Tuscany.
1: Oof. Ooh, don't get us where, started. What are we
0: doing in Tuscany? So this is where I
2: would say, okay, if you love, love Tianello. I would look for other Antinori wines from mm. Tuscany. Because they make a lot. Because they make a lot. And it's like, you know, I love Thomas Keller's food, but I can't have the French laundry every night. Some nights it's just good. You know, Bouchon fills the need. <laughs> Bouchon, Bouchon Bakery fills the need. So I would find, like, if you love a certain Super Tuscan wine, I can't think of one of them that just makes, really, that just makes that one wine. I would find other wines from that producer mm. and explore that to find like your best high quality from that region. Yeah.
0: Like second, third, fourth
2: labels that they make. Like Sarah, yeah.
0: what is that? Sarah, 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 Sarah Nova, yeah. yeah, or, or, Nolaya or Nolaya. has that.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let you in on one of my secrets from my last trip, last fall when I was working harvest in Bulgaria. So I went and hung out with a lot of friends and there's a lot of investment and a lot of attention growing. So right now it's still pretty fresh but into morellino Canzano area, which is a little south from Marema. So you have in Marema, you have Bulgari, you have all the super Tuscans, as you were saying, cab-driven, Merlot, or Cab Franc, all these things. But that area in Morellino is definitely, it's gifted with a very similar area closer to proximity to the ocean as well, mm-hmm. to the water. So it's given those wines a very similar character, a lot of power and finesse and structure with Bordeaux varietals, and even a little bit of Syrah as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a huge, huge place. And most of the producers right now, or the wines, the average is like $25, $30. Mm. Compared to like the big brothers right. from over there, it's, it's a huge, huge thing.
0: And what's the region called?
1: Morelino-Discansano.
0: Morelino-Discansano.
1: It's a, a, an old Etruscan town. I mean, yes. beautiful, charming, but a lot of attention and investment into cool. the right farming techniques, uh, winemaking and
2: such. Really beautiful. The other thing I would look for in Tuscany is the Rosso di Montalcino. Yeah. Because that is, it. you know, I hesitate to call it baby Brunello because it's like a different, it's just a different expression of yeah. the place. It is all 100% Sangiovese. It's just not aged quite as long. But some of these wines deliver such an incredible experience for a fraction of the price of, of Brunello. And it's just another, I mean, these are the wines that the locals drink uh, mm-hmm. while they're waiting for their Brunello to right. age. Um, and some of them are aged you know, three years, which just isn't enough to be called Brunello. But, like, that's a, that's a serious wine. Concernable investment, yeah.
0: indeed. Yeah. And some of those roasts can get up there, too. I mean, especially when you're talking about, like, the, you know, the Andi Santi or, like, Salamazo. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, mm-hmm. but there are some, like, very reasonably priced ones that, again, like, are, are over-delivering for what they are.
2: And give you a real sense of that place and that style of wine without, yeah, without having to pay the super premium yeah. price.
1: Now there's Los Corno from uh, San Filippo, or yeah. uh, even Romitorio does. Uh, there's Rosso that just over delivers, mm-hmm. and it goes through the similar care as the Brunello does. Obviously, the aging is a huge factor, but barrel wise and and technique and and the region. I mean, the, you're you're paying for the area of the world where it's growing with the same ideal conditions that Brunello did, uh, just with the extra aging. So, yeah. super. Yeah. Just a great outlet. Yeah,
0: yeah, good point. Two regions that we definitely have to hit when we're talking about iconic regions that are not exactly known for being uh, affordable. One of which, Burgundy; the other, mm. Bordeaux. Mm. Um, for me, in Burgundy, there's actually quite a bunch of them. Um, and in fact, one of my first loves when I became a Somme, probably for you guys too. That one of the first things that I discovered was Cru Beaujolais. Mm. Um, yep. Huh? Which, Filting. yeah, like, all <laughs> Gamay and in the last, you know, 20 years has definitely gotten more expensive, but damn, is the quality good. And, like, that is my go-to for fall yeah, drinking. Any Anytime, like, anytime I find myself in a situation where I'm with people that drink really great wine mm-hmm. and maybe I want to treat that night for some reason, I generally gravitate towards the Crew section on the list because...
1: That's one of the ultimate secrets. It's like it peeking is. under the curtain. And usually us, as some stew, we try not to reveal that one. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you had to do it. But anyway, we're letting everybody in into it. But yeah, crew uh has this depth and structure and, and charisma. And each one of the sev- of the several crews offers a little something different. Like yeah. Morgon has a little more depth and rich masculinity structure. Super fun. And the prices rarely ever reach the price The price to quality
2: price. is... Unbelievable for Beaujolais. And yeah, the the crew stuff, these single vineyards that that are really starting to get this attention are well worth, well worth it. Funny story is that for a wine access get together that we did a a local bar down here at Cadet, we went out as wine access team and we, we bought some wines and of course we drank. Beaujolais because that's because we're a bunch of wine people getting together and the next morning I saw the owner of the wine bar actually at the gym and I was like oh we had a great time last night and she said oh I couldn't figure out who was there but I saw the P mix which is the the product mix from the night before and was and she's like and now it all makes sense Uh, (laughs) because no one put in the report like who was there but she's like oh
0: yeah. She's like, where'd all my love Pierre go? <laughs> said, oh, that <laughs> totally makes sense. Okay, perfect. All right. I, it wasn't someone punching in the wrong thing. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, I love Cadet, too. I think the other one sort of adjacent to that is, um, which you guys I'm, I'm sure have had a number of times, is, the, is Pastugran. Another one that mm-hmm. I think even more under the radar, you know, this oh, yeah. sort of like mix of Pinot Noir and Gamay. Um, that a lot of the producers make. It just, they're they're even harder to find. Than the they are a little bit difficult to find. And when you do,
2: they're kind of, they're special, be, not because of the price, because the price is totally reasonable, but they're special because you, you've tracked one down. Yeah. They're a little bit tougher to find. But uh, yeah, like as you get into Burgundy... Kind of looking on the periphery, like if you look at, you know, the places around Chablis, if you look at the places a little further south of the Cote d'Or, like there's some beautiful wines being made and, and some names that you, if you know Burgundy, you'll start to recognize. Yeah.
1: I'm going to go on a limb here, but I was just in the Jura. And that's oh. an area that always yeah. piqued my interest. And having been there and seeing what they're doing, and they've been doing for decades, almost a century, if not more in some cases, Wow there's their Pinot Noir and Chardonnay but then you start yeah. getting into like the Sauvignon and then obviously there's there's their style of like the the age almost cherry like. Cherry-like. How do you tell
2: someone you're a Somme without telling them you're a Somme? Exactly. exactly. Uh, <laughs> you of like, of right. <laughs>
1: so yes that area is not that far it was, I, I want to say it was two hours because we spent a little time in Beaumont yeah, as well right. but the wines were pristine done right and the jurassic era soils hence the name jura mm. really give a lot of a lot of uh, a lot to talk about a lot of depth and beautifulness
2: absolutely great place for value and they don't and break the piggyback no yeah. those are and the ones that are coming into the u.s are mm-hmm. all really high quality so yeah absolutely what about serving on saint brie Ooh,
1: Ooh, that's yes. a fun one and yes. When,
2: yes, wine access enough. members have caught on to i think Ooh, yes,
1: we've done very well we can't get more and more every time we sell out almost instantly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and to me, it really piques my interest because I love uh, going back to Sauvignon Blanc. It's a chameleon. It just, everywhere it travels, it grabs where it's from and takes in the culture, if you will, yeah. mm-hmm. and really showcases. And imagine now having Sauvignon Blanc in this prime region of Burgundy, really right. sucking out the, the soils and expressing Well,
0: it. kind of like we're having right now, right? Exactly. You know, not very far yeah. away. And yeah, one of those real secret secret wines. Secret wines, yeah. So I think if you know Burgundy, you know there's really two primary grapes, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. There's also Aligoté and Gamay, but whatever. Um, But there's a tiny little appellation of Sauvignon Saint-Brie that just Sauvignon Blanc. And if you find it, they're extraordinary and they're not very expensive. Um, In fact, I used to have it on my list at at a place in New York and – it was a gem and a wine that I used to love drinking um, just as much as like, you know, Puy Fusé, which is another great sort of like value find. In fact, I had a friend the other night. She was at dinner and she sent me the list. and She was like, what should I drink? And I know she loves Burgundy, but she was not going to be paying the check. And I said, grab the Puy Fusé. And she was like, so I, I sent her the, the pronunciation of how you, you awesome. say it, which is helpful. That's a good yeah. friend right there. Because uh, I think that is always... One, I think one of the biggest challenges a lot of these regions have not gotten famous because they're not easy they're not easy to, to say. say. That makes it... That make,
2: That's always, like, a barrier for entry. And I I think spending a little... Like, there's some great apps that have wine maps on them. And just yeah. getting... I mean, that 15 minutes you'll spend... If you love Sancerre, just look at the surrounding regions and, like, kind of get a little familiar with them. And then if you see those on a list of, or a trusted wine shop, you're like, okay, it starts yeah. to click. And that... A little bit of time, a little bit of investment can save you probably hundreds and hundreds of dollars yeah. in your wine drinking life and so much enjoyment. Well, so. if if
1: I may interrupt, I know we still have to talk about Bordeaux and a couple others, but yes. you talk about those areas that is hard to pronounce, right? Mm-hmm. And what's one of the biggest barriers is Germany and Austria, right? True. The labels and all that. True. But also at the same time, some of some's favorite wines have become Gruner Vettliner and and Riesling True. from both Austria and Germany and are great options once you break down the barrier of how do you read this <laughs> what level and all this. But yep. super fun wines.
0: Bordeaux, we all know it to be first growth, very expensive wine. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's actually quite a lot of value outside oh, of those first, yes. second, third growths because these this classification system has basically made it impossible for other producers to get famous so you have the wines like the Chateau de Bittre which we drank on that episode so where I'm looking is the right bank a lot of the time I'm also looking at if we're talking about Sauternes, we're looking at maybe Barsac instead yes. of Sauternes. but where are you guys looking?
1: Well the satellites offer like all those areas yeah. around just little pockets you find incredible value I mean you're talking under $25 wines sometimes that are really well made. It's, it's a balance, uh, a constant balance between Merlot and Cabernet, in some cases a little Cap Franc and yeah. Malbec even <laughs> – and they they often over-deliver.
0: Yeah. I love Bordeaux. I don't drink it enough. And like you said, the satellite regions within Bordeaux are important to look at. So don't... And you guys offer a lot of them on Wine Access. You do a lot of direct imports from Bordeaux mm-hmm. for that reason. Because there is so much great value that just over-delivers. So don't just limit yourself to the first, second, third gross. There are also the second labels of that you could course. also be looking at. Plenty of those. And third labels as well. Yeah. None of... Yeah, none of those... You know, none of those listed Chateau only make that
2: wine. Right. So it's worth sometimes doing a little digging and seeing what else they produce and from where else
0: and, and checking those out. So much great information, I think. I think we over-delivered on this episode. Oh, my God. We can <laughs> keep going. Uh, maybe not as much as some <laughs> of the wines that you guys are about to <laughs> drink, but a lot, of, a lot of great buys from these iconic regions that I know we're personally fans of. Hopefully, you guys will check them out as well. Just to recap, we were drinking this delicious mm. Puy Fumé from Chez de Villebois, which was just mm-hmm. if you're not getting lost I'll in this right now
1: sip, yeah, thanks.
0: yeah. this is it this is the end of it right this is <laughs> the end we're, we're reaching the end well the end of this
2: wine too all right there <laughs> we can't get, we'll can't get, it. We get anymore I know.
0: we did well i'm really proud of us thank <laughs> you for joining me and talking about spilling all your secrets because oh man there are many we've got more though so. more to come more oh, to come. Yeah. Um, if you enjoy this episode, as a reminder, please go ahead and like and subscribe and review this episode and this podcast. And join the Wine Access Unfiltered Wine Club if you are not already. We're having so much fun. In fact, uh, I have loved, loved, loved getting some of your messages about the wines that you've enjoyed. We have gotten some great ones about the uh, that Zuccardi Polygonos. Mm. Uh, changed a lot of people's minds on oh, Malbec, myself yeah. included. So we're having a lot of fun with that. So go ahead and join that. The link is in the description below. Guys, I hope to see you all soon. And um, in the meantime, Laura and Eduardo, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Cheers. 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 Thanks, everybody, for syncing in.
1: And uh, keep the comments coming.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm. Yum, 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 yum.